that we would learn to trust more and to fear less. To trust more and to fear less. We're going to look at uh, part of this passage today. I want to read for you from uh, Matthew 10, beginning at verse 17. And then we'll uh, come back to it as we go through the message. Listen to what the Scripture says here. It's in a passage where Jesus has appointed the twelve and sent them out to preach. Beginning at verse 17, he says, Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father? And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word today asking you to speak to us, to instruct us, to guide us in your truth. And Father, we know that there are many things in this world that can cause us to be afraid. But your word is truth. And when we build our life upon the foundation of the word, it makes all the difference in our life. So help us to be a people who trust more and who fear less. In Jesus' name, amen. It is amazing how much of our life is spent trying to be accepted, trying to fit in, trying to be somebody. You heard Shiloh talk about that this morning in her testimony, and yet her story is not unique. All of us in our life have tried to do things to fit into a group that we valued or to be accepted or to be somebody and to have significance in our life. We are wired that way. And the question that we are going to look at this morning is a question that we often ask. Do we matter? Do we matter? And the thing that we fear the most is that we don't. Max Lucado in his book writes that our deepest fear is that no one cares because we aren't worth caring about. Wouldn't that be a tragic way to live? To feel that our life did not matter because we were not worth being cared about. It is for that reason that we crave the attention of other people in our life. We crave the attention of our spouse, or we crave the affirmation of our boss, our peers, 
We drop names of important people in our conversations. We wear college rings on our fingers. We flaunt our accomplishments and we try to look our best because we're trying to fit in, to be accepted, to be somebody. Fashion designers tell us that you'll be somebody if you wear our jeans. You know, stick our name on your rear end and insignificance will vanish. I mean, why? Because we spent half a paycheck on a pair of Italian jeans? I mean, it happens though. I remember hearing Reverend John Perkins, black pastor in the South, who worked in Mendenhall, Mississippi with the poorest of the poor. And he would see young men who had very little in life, but when it came to Friday night or Saturday night, you know, they had to have just the fancy shirt and the fancy jeans, and they had to go out in that because they wanted to be somebody. And he'd ask them, why? I mean, why are you spending, you know, half of your paycheck, in a sense, on something that's so fleeting when what you had to wear was good? I think of a friend of ours, Brad Rosted, who worked in Haiti, and he would talk about people who live in the slums and garbage dumps, and they have little cardboard shacks or tin roofs for their home, and you'd see a TV antenna sticking out of it. And when it came to Saturday night, they had to have the fanciest jeans and step out in that. The poorest of the poor, but still wanting to fit in. And then, horror of horrors, the styles change. The fad passes, the trend shifts from tight to baggy or from faded to dark, and we're left wearing yesterday's jeans. You know, and we're feeling like yesterday's news. We try to fit in, don't we? It's one of the reasons that people follow sports teams too. You know, if the team that I cheer for is a winner, well, that makes me feel like a winner. And if the team I cheer for is a loser, well, then what does that make me? You know, and and we worry about that. And here in Minnesota, we're kind of going through a crisis. It's it's been a long time, and we want something good to cheer about. So it's go Lynx right now. You know, it's let's cheer for the Lynx. But if we are building our self-worth on what we do or what we have or who we cheer for, that's a pretty shaky foundation. We need to look to the Scriptures to answer the question, do we matter? Do we matter? And here's what we see in God's Word. Number one, we have great worth because God made us. We have great worth because God made us. We were made in the image of God. In Genesis 1.27, the Scripture says, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created him. What does that mean to be made in the image of God? It means that we were made with wisdom and intelligence and skill. We were made with a capacity to think, to feel, and to love. We were made male and female to complement one another and to gather to reflect the image of God. We were made to reproduce and to rule over His creation. What a remarkable privilege it is to be able to have children and to raise them up to know God and to have dominion over the world that He has made. We were made to have a relationship with God that would last forever. Psalm 139.13 says, We are fearfully and wonderfully made. I think of that every time I see a newborn baby. 
And you look at that precious little baby and that gift of life and how wondrous it is, how amazing it is that all of those things that are part of the human body all work and fit together. I think of it when I see an athlete who's at the peak of his years performing and I see the strength that he or she has. I think about it in terms of the amazing ability of the body to heal, to fight, to survive, and to hold on to life. God, you are amazing. God knows everything about us, the psalmist says. He knows our thoughts. He knows our words even before we say them. He knows our comings and our goings. He knows our days. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The psalmist says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. God, our God, is thinking about us continually. And God values us not for what we have or do, but for who we are. It's not a performance-based love. God loves us because He is love and He values you and me. That truth, when it sinks into our life, changes lives. You see, if you think you don't matter, it will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because you'll never try. You'll never step out in faith. You'll never take a risk. You'll live your life in the shadows. But if you believe that God loves you and He cares about you and that you are significant in His sight, you'll be willing to take steps of faith or to grow or to try new things. You'll be willing to change and He will lead you and use you in this life. Max Locato tells a story about an orphanage in China for the deaf and the mute. And he said that China's one-child policy has a way of weeding out the weak. Males are selected over females. Healthy babies outrank the impaired. Chinese children who cannot speak or hear stand little chance of a healthy, productive life. Every message tells them, you don't matter. So when someone says otherwise, they melt. There's a man named John Bentley who's working in China in an orphanage, and he tells of a story when uh, they were able to get a copy of Max Lucado's book called You Are Special. And it was translated into Mandarin and was given to the children at this orphanage. And it tells a story of a character, a wooden person in a wooden village named Punchinello. And the villagers had a practice of sticking stars on their achievers and dots on their strugglers. And Punchinello had so many dots that people gave him more dots for no reason at all. But then he met Eli, his maker. And Eli affirmed him, telling him to disregard the opinion of others. He said, I made you, and I don't make mistakes. And Punchinello had never heard such words. And when he did, his dots began to fall off. And when the children in the Chinese orphanage heard such words, their worlds began to change. John says, when we first distributed these books to the children and staff, the most bizarre thing happened. At a certain point in the story, everyone started crying. And I couldn't understand this reaction. I mean, Americans are somewhat used to the idea of positive reinforcement, but not so in China. 
and particularly for these children who are virtually abandoned and considered valueless by their natural parents because they were broken. When the idea came through in the reading that they are special simply because they were made by a loving Creator, everyone started crying, including their teachers. This truth changes lives. We've heard that story too at a camp that we are involved with in China where one of the most popular songs is the song, He Knows My Name. He sees each tear that falls and he hears me when I pray. And there are kids at that camp who just I mean, are amazed in a country of one billion people. God knows my name. He sees my tears. He knows my hurts. He hears my prayers. It's amazing. That truth is powerful. And kids and students need to hear that as well in our country. And if you're a teacher, whether it's in the public schools or in our Sunday school or at home, if you're a grandparent who has opportunity to hang out and spend time with your kids, if you're a mentor, if you're a student ministry leader or work in our WANA program, you have an opportunity to shape young lives and to remind them that they matter to God, that they have value because they are made in His image. Secondly, we have great value because God loves us. God loves us. In Matthew 10, in the passage I read for you, Jesus chooses the twelve men who are going to be his disciples, and then he sends them out on their first assignment. And he gives them these instructions. He tells them that they are to go and preach the kingdom of heaven is near. So here's the message. Preach the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is near. And he gives them power to heal the sick and raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers and drive out demons. Can you imagine that? I mean, go and where you see people that are sick, place your hands on them, pray for them, and they will be well. Where you see someone who has died, you go and you place your hands on them and you will raise them up to life. I mean, astounding miracles that they were to do. They were given this power from Christ to authenticate the message that they were preaching about the kingdom. But then he also gives them this warning. Be on your guard against men. Some men will hate you. Some men will turn you over to the authorities to be flogged. Some men will want you to be put to death. Why? I mean, why would anyone want to do that when they were doing so much good? Why would people reject that kind of message of hope and life and salvation? And Jesus said, it's because they have rejected Me. Wow. That's pretty sobering. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Do not be afraid. Why should they not be afraid? Well, in verses 26 to 30, he gives them three reasons. Number one, truth will triumph. Don't be afraid because truth will triumph. It will all be revealed in the end, in the final day. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. So don't be afraid to boldly declare His truth today. One day the world's going to see the whole thing, and yes, they may reject it now, but that day is coming when the books are going to be opened. 
And the Son of God will be revealed in all of His glory. And every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So wouldn't it be good to declare that truth today and to choose to live for Him and put Him first in our life? He tells them, secondly, don't be afraid because death is not final. Verse 28. He said, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The reality is that some whom I have called, Jesus says, will follow me and they will die as martyrs. He didn't sugarcoat this. The reality is that some of those who choose to follow Jesus are going to die as martyrs. But that doesn't mean that I don't love you. We have been told and it has been estimated that more people died as martyrs in the last century than in the previous 1900 years combined. Every day there are believers in Christ who are put to death for their faith. But the scripture says to us that we are to fear God and not men. Luther in his well-known hymn said, The body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. William Barclay, the commentator, tells a story about Hugh Latimer. Hugh Latimer was one of the outstanding figures in the Reformation in England. And there was a time when Hugh Latimer was preaching and King Henry VIII was in the audience. And as he's preaching, he had this kind of dialogue going on in his mind. I don't know if you know that's what happens to pastors sometimes when they're preaching. They have conversations going on in their head. And they're thinking, you know, like, why is that person asleep? Or why is that person looking down? Or did I say something that didn't make sense today? Or, you know, or we're praying? Or all those kind of things. So Latimer is preaching. King Henry VIII is in the audience. And he's having this message on one side that's saying, Latimer, Latimer, be careful what you say. The king is here. And at the same time, there was another voice in his head that said, Latimer, Latimer, be careful what you say. The King of Kings is here. And it is that truth that gives power to preaching. That the one that we will stand before someday is the King who is over all kings. So declare the truth boldly. It was said of John Knox, the reformer, when he was buried, that here lies one who feared God so much that he never feared the face of any man. Thirdly, do not be afraid because God cares for you. And we see that in verses 29 and 30. And he tells us here, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. If God cares for the sparrows, won't He care for you? If He cares for the least of His creation, we might say, won't He watch over you? And if God knows even the hairs on your head, 
I mean, who counts hairs? You know, it's not that big a deal if, you know, some's <laughs> fallen out. It's not, not that big a deal. Who counts that? But God does. And He says, don't ever doubt His love. Don't ever doubt His love. Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He said, never will I leave you. No, never will I forsake you. In Romans 8, 37 to 39, He says that no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't ever doubt His love. And thirdly, we have great worth because Christ died for us. When we look at the Scriptures, we see these statements of truth. But God demonstrates His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were enemies of the cross and He came and God sent His Son to die for us. Jesus was willing to lay aside His glory, His privilege in heaven to become like us and to take upon Himself our sins and to die a horrible death by crucifixion. Paul writes, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? If He has already given us the best gift He could give, the most costly gift He could give, will He not take care of us in other areas as well? And in Ephesians 2.10, God says, or the Scripture says, that we are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece, some of the translations say. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has a plan for your life and mine. God has made you exactly the way you needed to be to fulfill the work that He has for you to do. How do we find out what that work is? Well, we surrender our life to Christ and we let Him lead us and He will show us what His will is for our life. And whether our calling or vocation is as a teacher or a businessman, whether it's working as a doctor or a nurse, a farmer, an accountant, a salesperson, or working in an office, whatever our occupation may be, God wants to use you to influence the people around you to be a witness for Christ. He loves you, and He has a plan for your life. There's a story that's told by Larry Crabb, a Christian counselor, in his book, Connecting. And he said, I have a friend who was raised in an angry family. And mealtimes were either, you know, very, very tense, sarcastic, angry, or there was absolute silence. And down the street there was an old-fashioned house with a big porch where a happy family lived. And my friend told me that when he was about ten, he figured out that, you know, the best thing he could do was to eat his meal quickly and then excuse himself. And when he was done with his meal, he would excuse himself and he'd go down the street to this big old house where this happy family lived. 
And if he came during dinner time, he would crawl under the porch of that house and he would sit there and he would listen to the sounds of laughter inside that home. Larry Crabb said, when he told me this, I asked him to imagine. What would it have been like if the father in that house somehow knew that you were hiding there under the porch? And what would it have felt like if he sent his son to invite you to come in and join the family and to sit at his table and have fellowship with him? What would it have been like if you were there at that meal and you accidentally spilled your water and instead of yelling at you, he said, get that boy some more water and a dry shirt. I want him to enjoy the meal. What would that have felt like? That's what God the Father has done. He has sent His Son to invite us to join in His family and to share in the holy laughter of heaven and the joy of the One who made us and created us. What is it that people are looking for in this life? What is it that we want at the very core of our being? We want to belong. We want acceptance. We want affirmation. We want to feel good at something. We want significance. We want to know that our life counts. That we can make a difference in our world. So where do we find the answer to that longing? To the question, do we matter? We find it in Jesus Christ. And when we come to Christ, we are accepted into His family. We belong to Him. And we are invited to experience the joy of heaven, what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, and we experience that in our church, a foretaste of what it means to be a part of the family of God. When we come to know Christ, we learn how much He loves us, that He died for us, and we experience His constant care for us, His affirmation, His promises, And we experience all of that through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life and through the promises of His Word. And finally, when we come to know Christ, we find meaning and significance. There is a reason that we are here, and He invites us to join with Him in the greatest work that we could ever be a part of, the great work of bringing the Gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, how can we thank you enough for your great love for us, for the joy and privilege it is to be a part of your family, and for the hope that we have that one day we will see you face to face. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord, and you're listening to this message and you're thinking, I would love to be a part of that family, would you just open your heart and say to Jesus, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins and come into my life and be my Savior and Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And Jesus, again, he'll take you at your word and he will lead you as you trust him and follow him. Thank you, Father, for what you've done. In Christ's name, amen.